Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello again, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Jason A. Meiske, thriller author and you know, like like I just said, this is episode two, and what can I say? I am I'm honored to be here. I'm thrilled to be your host. I'm thrilled with last week's launch of the show. Uh, thank you so much to all of you out there that downloaded and listened, and uh, especially a big big thank you to all of you out there that subscribed. Uh, you know, we had this idea going for a long time about the show and what it could be, what it might be able to accomplish for authors, and those of you who have already subscribed just on me talking in episode one, it just goes to show that maybe we're on to a good idea. And I think so. I think we've got uh, a good thing you know, potentially here, so thank you so much. I, I really appreciate, and I'm, I'm honored that uh, you've already subscribed and uh, I'll do everything in my power not to let you down. So uh, we've got a little bit of house cleaning um, each week. I'll do a little bit of talking to you, just kind of give you a little bit of news, a little bit of hey what's going on in the world of the sample chapter. This week I'm going to just start with a few more thank yous. Number one, I want to thank that lovely, lovely voice of my wife Holly that you hear at the beginning of each show. Uh, she was kind enough to donate her, her voice talents and man, just beautiful, right? <laughs> she's my rock. She is my reason I get to do anything. Uh, I mean, without her, I couldn't accomplish a thing. And uh, she's she's my world. So thank you, Holly. Um, I appreciate everything you do for me. And I love you, babe. Uh, I want to say another thank you, special thank you out there for podcastgarden.com. If you are interested in finding more shows. There's just tons of topics at Podcast Garden. If you have an interest in maybe you want to make your own show, well, go to podcastgarden.com and make yourself an episode a month uh, free of charge. And this is this is a great service. I'm really honored to be here. Uh, we also need to announce that uh, we now have our own email. Uh, last time, uh, we, we recorded this. We didn't really have a lot of things set up. We were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And uh, you know how, you know, when you get an idea for something and you just, sometimes you just jump on it and you start going. That's kind of what we did here. But now we do have our own email. It is the sample chapter podcast at gmail.com. Uh, again, that's sample chapter podcast, not the, but sample chapter podcast at gmail.com. You no longer need to use. The Writing Fisherman, that's my author email. Uh, if you want to contact me through there, you can, that's fine. But anything show related, if you have a question for us, if you have an author you would like to, us to connect with, if you have you know, comments, whatever, anything you want, then get a hold of us here at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. We also have our Facebook page up and running. Uh, got a few pictures up already. We've got uh, lots of people subscribing to us there, liking us. So head on over to facebook.com slash sample chapter podcast and give us a big old like. We do have a page on Podcast Garden, but the Facebook page is where we'll be doing most of our content as far as updating with pictures and the uh, author profiles and so on. 
we will definitely be doing that a lot. Uh, so if you want to head on over there and give us a big old like and make sure that you get notified of anything that we've got happening next. We are live on iTunes and now Google Play. Uh, I think with the Google Play, we're still working at a few kinks. Uh, something, Something's wrong with the picture as of this recording. But hopefully by the time you hear this, we'll have that picture all worked out. And then you can, if you've got yourself a Google Home, you can just holler over there and, and uh, you know, call out the Google and say, hey, play the Sample Chapter podcast with Jason A. Meiske. The show will pop up for you and start playing. Uh, make sure to add us and subscribe so that way you don't miss out on any shows. So we've got a couple of listener questions. Uh, first one that uh, probably is important to note. <laughs> Somebody asked, uh, hey, Jason, you mentioned... Uh, looking your, your name up uh, as an author, Jason A. Meiske, but how do you spell Meiske? That, that is a very valid question because I have a unique last name. I, whenever I went to coming up with an author page and, and whether or not I was going to write with my own name or not, for me, that wasn't even a question. I decided, no, I, I like my last name. It's unique. There are several Meiskes in my area, but to my knowledge, I'm the only Meiske so far that's... that's an author, but uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe there's another one out there that I haven't come across yet. So yes, if you want to find me on Facebook, it's author Jason A. Meiske, that is spelled M-E-U-S-C-H-K-E. I know, it looks like Mioski or Mioski, or I've heard tons of, I even, all through high school, I was uh, Maduski. I don't have a D in my name either, however, Maduski stuck, and that was my nickname throughout high school. Anyway, but Meiske is my last name, and that is the correct spelling, M-E-U-S-C-H-K-E, and uh, that's how you spell it. Okay, uh, moving on. So this is episode two. We're going to be having our very first author interview today, and I am so excited. This is what the show is going to be about. You tuned in last week, you heard me talk about it, what we have planned. Well, this is the episode that's going to kick it off. So in a sense, this is like episode 1.2. Now on, it's going to be me interviewing authors. So this is, I'm, I'm so excited. So hey, let's get, uh, let's get going on it. Today we're going to be interviewing science fiction and thriller author Stan C. Smith. Stan is a, uh, a local Missouri author. Uh, he is a member of my, my writing group. So he's a guy that I know. I've known him for a couple years now. And he is a fantastic author. Now, I'm not just saying that because I know him and, you know, he could hunt me down. I'm serious. Look him up on Amazon. Check out all of his his rave reviews. The guy's, just one of his books, I know, is up over 75 reviews already. All of them positive. And he's, he's really on a roll. Uh, he is known for his Diffusion series and other books like Blue Arrow, Parthenium's Year, uh, today he's speaking about uh, his book Savage, which is a side adventure from the Diffusion series. Now I'm I'm familiar with a few of his books. I'm familiar with his Diffusion series. That's a three book series so far. Uh, that first book blew me away. Uh, as you're going to hear, I, I was convinced that he had been in the location that the book takes place. Not the case. Anyway, uh, you know, I don't want to take up much of your time. It's, it's, this is the author's time, so I'm going to go ahead and 
get us on over to that interview, and uh, I'll talk to you after the show. So without further ado, here we go with Stan C. Smith. Uh, with me today, I have uh, Stan C. Smith. Stan, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Not too bad. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, you have uh, you've been writing a few books. Uh, you've got a pretty successful series going so far with your Diffusion series, and uh, I know you've put a few other books out uh, in between and, and after. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself first, though. Uh, what do you do? Well, I... For uh, 29 years, I actually was an educator in the Warrensburg School District, Warrensburg, Missouri, and I taught uh, middle school life science, and then I did teacher training and technology use in the classroom. And uh, about two and a half years ago, I uh, decided that I enjoyed writing enough that I wanted to spend as much time as possible on it, so my wife and I retired, and that's pretty much what I'm doing full-time now. Great, great. Have you always wanted to write? Always have. Um you know, if you asked me, did I always want to teach, I'd probably have to say not until I was actually in college and decided that's what I want to do. But I did always want to write. And um, I, I've read science fiction and, and, and adventure books since I was a kid. Uh, even in high school, I even took a, a science fiction writing class, if you can believe that, <laughs> back in the 70s when there was a time period when their approach was to have as many different diverse classes as possible in mm -hmm. the high schools. And so... And for about, oh, the last 12 years that I was teaching, I worked on the uh, Diffusion book, which was really at that time Diffusion and Infusion combined, mm -hmm. and it ended up being a really long, but uh, uh, I enjoyed that so much, I wanted to retire and do it full time. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, speaking of, of your stories, uh, what do you think makes a good story? Well, I can give the standard answer, which would be, <clears throat> you know, I love a good story that's easy to follow because I often put a book down and don't pick it up for two days, <laughs> uh, that is fast-paced and that has really interesting characters, but just about everyone would say that. Um, I think for me, the, the thing that really gets me into a story is when I'm reading it and then the author has come up with concepts uh, that just are awe-inspiring. And I think, oh, wow, that's just amazing. You know, how did they even come up with that? <laughs> and that, of course, is pretty specific to speculative fiction, you know, mm -hmm. science fiction especially. And, you know, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I read Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, uh, his Pellucidor series, which is a hollow earth, you know, and there's there's a sun in the middle of it. And these, oh, yeah. these uh, there's primitive people that lived in there. And, and this, this guy goes in there and just has all these adventures. And to me, it was like, I couldn't believe it, you know. It was it was all inspiring, and uh, and and I still feel that way. I'm reading a book right now called uh, uh, Amped by Richard Douglas, and uh, I got about halfway through the book, and something just amazing happened. It took it to an entirely new level of uh, this uh, treatment that they could treat with people and make them highly intelligent, and then something popped up right about in the middle of it that I just blew my mind, and that's what works for me is oh, is these amazing concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on uh, a book that keeps your attention because I'll do the same thing. I'll put a book down intending to get back to it, and then it'll be a few days or sometimes a week before I realize, oh, it's yeah. still sitting there waiting for me. Yeah, those books with lots and lots of characters, difficult to follow. That you, If you put it down much at all, I have a hard time because I'm always busy doing other things. 
-hmm. Whenever I read, I feel like I should be writing. And so uh, I have a hard time spending much time reading. I mm -hmm. should read more. <laughs> well, uh, now something I was interested in was that your diffusion series takes place in New Guinea. Where did you get the ideas for that? And, and where did you find the information? You have such great details. How did you, how did you find that? Well, when I came up with the concept itself at the beginning, I wanted it to take place in one of the most remote areas, difficult to, to find areas on Earth. And um, I also wanted it to be a place I was always fascinated by and have always wanted to go to. But this object, this alien entity that they find in diffusion has been hidden for a long, long time. I needed a location where that's possible, even today. You know, when almost every corner of the Earth has been explored. It turns out that uh, the western half of the island of New Guinea, which is called Papua, it's a part of Indonesia, is, uh, is like that. There are, there are huge portions of the map that just simply they don't have any data for because it, it hasn't even been explored much because it's very difficult to get to. So I just started snatching up books and reading them and reading online trip uh, reports of people telling about what it was like to be there and, and all of it. And uh, I, I spent months doing research on it because when I first started writing, I was very methodical and, and didn't pay much attention to how long it took me. Mm. And so it didn't bother me to spend a lot more time than, mm. than I would now. I do research now, but it goes a lot faster. Now, in, in reading it, because I've read this before, so have you been there? I have not actually been to New Guinea. Now, my wife <laughs> and I have been to a half dozen countries where we hike in tropical rainforests. We've been to Northeast Australia, not too far from New Guinea, but we haven't actually been to wow. the island of New Guinea. That's amazing. But I have read a lot of books about what it's like there. And, and I feel like all of our experiences in the rainforest give me a, a way of making the writing in, uh, events in the rainforest have a little bit more realistic feel because yeah. you, you know what the air smells like and what it sounds like and how difficult it is to spot animals in the canopy and all those little things that uh, that you you know experience helps out. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I would have sworn you'd, you'd been there. And, um, <laughs> maybe you had uh, been one of the teachers taking students on a trip uh, that maybe it was personal experience. but Not to New Guinea, no. <laughs> That's amazing. What was something surprising that you learned in creating um, any of your books? Well, I would have to say the most surprising thing to me, now that I'm two and a half years into doing this full time, is that you know there was a time when I was struggling to get an hour a day of writing in. I'd get up at 4.30, write till 5.30, and that sort of thing, and then go to work. Um, and I thought, well, I really, really want to do this full time. Well, now, I, and I thought, that's going to be great, but eventually it's going to, I'll get burned out, you know, I'll get tired of it. But to me, the most surprising thing is that I don't. And I, you know, I often spend 10 hours a day writing or planning or researching and marketing, you know, and working with my email newsletters, things like that. And uh, I, I'm still at a point where I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning because I want to get to the next chapter or uh, work on this idea or something like that. It's, it's, I think it's just going to go, be this way forever. That's and that, to me, that's a big surprise. Yeah, that's fantastic. On average, how long does it take you to write a book now? <laughs> well, this is, a, this is an answer that uh, I think indie authors would be interested in, particularly those that are working on their first book. Because, like I said earlier, it took me over 10 years to complete a book that I called Diffusion then, and it ended up being two books because it was about 160,000 words by the time I was done. <laughs> but... Um, it, it took a long time because I only had about 10 hours a day. Well, then when I started 
when I retired and I was able to write full time, that time went down drastically. Mm -hmm. And now uh, I think Savage took me about two and a half, three months mm -hmm. plus editing, you know, for a, mo a month of editing. And uh, during the, the month of November, I've almost finished this next novel that I'm working on called Bridgers. And um, it's getting to the point where it's realistic to think that I could write three novels per year. Now, I know some people do more than that, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm a little bit more methodical and careful. And, but I would have never dreamed that was possible mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Well, I believe it. I, I remember uh, what, <clears throat> what the audience isn't aware of is that Stan and I are in the same uh, writing group. So I remember uh, it was earlier this year when you came up with the idea uh, for uh, uh, Parnithium. Mm -hmm. and, and that just came out recently mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, you're you're really on a roll. I I can totally believe uh, three books a year. And well, if you can set aside a couple hours a day consistently, um, it's amazing what you can get done. Cutting out Facebook, email, things like that, until you have until you know making a schedule is is really helpful. Right. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, the one that you're working on. What's coming soon from you? Well, um, there is the first thing I'll say is there is a, another book in the Diffusion series that I'm planning. Um, but right now, I'm most excited about um, a, new, a new series that I'm working on. They're going to be relatively short novellas in the range of 40 to 55,000 words, somewhere in there for each one of them. And I plan there to be four to six of them or so. And uh, the, the, the name of the first one is Bridgers. Basically, the concept is that there's a company that has the technology. They have the blueprints that they, re that they have gotten where they got them from is kind of a mystery. But um, they have blueprints for making a device that allows you to jump to an alternate universe, in other words, an alternate Earth, um, oh. out of an infinite number of possible ones to jump to. And um, the, the unique thing about this is that it's the device that they have allows them to dial back how long ago this version of Earth diverged from our own. Mm -hmm. If you dial back five minutes, the Earth you jump to is going to be almost identical. If you dial back 100 years, then it could, it could be quite different. We could have had different leaders and countries and so on. If you mm -hmm. dial back 1,000 years, civilization could be totally different. 10,000 or 100,000 years, there may not even be humans. Neanderthals may have had the upper hand and wiped humans out, and then and we could have an Earth populated by wow. a dominant. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, um, People have lost interest in this technology, though, because of one particular thing. It's difficult. And when you bridge to another world, mm -hmm. it strips away all non-organic, non-living materials. So you arrive with no hair, no clothes, no weapons, no <laughs> recording devices or anything. And so bridgers are people that they hire to protect these people and, uh, and make sure they come back within the 36 hours that they have to visit this alternate world. And so they can't use weapons or anything other than what they can make with their bare hands with out of sticks and trees. <laughs> and, and so they're very good at combat and hand-to-hand -hand combat and all these. And so it's a very it's an action-oriented adventure survival sort of series, and, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I can't wait to hear about that. And uh, will you come back and uh, I'd be happy when Bridges comes out? Oh, yes. Fantastic. All right, well, uh, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the book that we're going to hear today. Well, um, the Diffusion series actually includes three books. There's Diffusion, Infusion, and Profusion. And uh, I had a lot of people asking me about a particular character named Samuel Inwood, who is, who is a, an English naturalist 
who has been in the in the rainforest in this in Papua, living with this tribe of very unusual uh, Papuan natives, and has been there for a very long time. And he's a very interesting character. And people have asked me, well, what's his story? You know, and I'd like to know more about him. So I thought it would be fun to write a novel. It ended up being about 52,000 words, so we could call it a novella or a short novel. And um, it's called Savage. It's basically Samuel Inwood's journey to New Guinea in 1868 mm -hmm. and what he encounters there. Uh, needless to say, if you've read any of my books, things don't go well for Samuel. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, it turns into survival and a, dis a discovery of awe-inspiring things and, and, uh, and basically things that could change entire civilization or wipe out civilization as we know it. And it's up to Samuel Inwood to decide what to do with this. <laughs> and so um, it's called Savage. That's fantastic. All right. Well, before we get started, uh, let uh, let the listeners know, uh, how can they find you? Um, my website is stancsmith.com. Okay. Uh, my email address is stan at stancsmith.com. I'm on Facebook, but uh, I'm not terribly active in social media. So uh, everything you need to know about my books, links to buy them, more information, excerpts, Sign up for my email list for all kinds of freebies. I, I do every two weeks. I send out an email with an awesome animal feature mm. of one of the animals that's been featured in one of my books. Um, Stancysmith.com. All right, I can highly recommend his his email list. I I'm on that list. I get the email every two weeks, and I'm always amazed with the the depth of information and uh, what you put in there. I think it's fantastic. So I yeah. highly recommend. Uh, get on stancsmith.com and get signed up with that email newsletter. And uh, now we're going to uh, we're going to listen to Stan as he reads a little bit from Savage. Savage is a little unusual because it's the field journal of a Victorian English naturalist. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I really enjoyed working with the language and and uh, and uh, coming up with unique ways to say things. February sixteenth, eighteen sixty eight. Let it be known that I, Samuel Thaddeus Inwood, am not a man of the sea. It is with certainty that I make this claim, having spent the last 74 days aboard two steamers and a schooner on my journey from the port at Southampton to my current position in the great Pacific Ocean off the northern coast of New Guinea, Humboldt Bay being my final destination. Were you to lay eyes on the first ship of my voyage, the magnificent P&O steamship Deacon, you might think me a cowardly, unsturdy man. This ship carried me from England to the island of Singapore. Admittedly, the Deacon was a grand and impressive ship, with its long hull below the deck, the saloon. The saloon was comfortable, appointed with a large, ornately carved table bolted to the floor, and every visible surface elegantly decorated with paint and gilt. But the meals served there, although numerous and of considerable size, were generally cold and plain, and the ship was crowded with four berths per cabin and barely room to stand between them. Notwithstanding the ship's size, the motions of the sea produced constant rocking. This was accompanied by the ceaseless clanking of the engines, fueled by the labor of half-naked stokers shoveling coal into the furnaces. During the first portion of this voyage, I found comfort only in the generous offerings at no additional cost to me, of ale, porter, claret, port, and sherry. Champagne was even served twice a week. But finally, having decided to tour the engine rooms, which were open to the passengers, I discovered the ship's menagerie, 
a large compartment containing hundreds of animals no doubt outnumbering the people on board. There were cows to provide milk, as well as pigs, sheep, chickens, and ducks. Notwithstanding the smell, I spent many hours there, perhaps more comfortably than in the company of my fellow travelers, although the collection of creatures steadily diminished as the ship's butcher converted them into meals for approximately 300 passengers and crew. As I have said, my cabin on the Deacon was small and barely tolerable. I can therefore scarcely imagine the conditions my assistant, Charles Newman, will endure when he travels to join me in the coming weeks. Due to the fortunate position of the family into which I was born, I was able to purchase a gentleman's first-class ticket. Charles, I'm afraid, will be in possession of a servant's ticket, with its proportionably less elegant accommodations. Upon arriving in Singapore, I went about procuring provisions, as I had been told that the islands I would encounter nearer to New Guinea would be lacking in articles often used by Europeans, particularly those used for cleanliness and comfort. After six days of searching and bartering for the items on my list, and then carefully packing them, I set off on a small screw steamer and made my way to the spice island of Tidore. This portion of my journey involved nine days living in wretched quarters. To pass the time and to procure fresh sea air in order to escape the discomfort of seasickness, I spent many hours on the deck watching innumerable islands pass. This had the effect of increasing my anticipation for arrival at my final destination, as each of the islands was covered with lofty and luxuriant forest. Beyond the shores of larger islands were hills and mountains, and I was told that few of these had ever been trodden by civilized men. When I arrived at Tidore, I endeavored to procure a meeting with the Sultan, who had been granted rights by the Dutch to much of the northern coast of New Guinea. I made the acquaintance of a Dutch trader there who assisted me in arranging the meeting. The Sultan, a man of Malayan race, was eager to assist in any efforts that might result in trading colonies being established within his jurisdiction. He generously provided me a letter of authority to go where I pleased and receive every assistance I required. As an additional service, he assigned a lieutenant and a soldier to accompany me until I could establish myself. They were to provide my protection and assist with my relations with the natives at Humboldt Bay, who were generally known to be hostile. I now find myself on the last portion of my journey aboard the schooner Hester Helena. This was the same ship used by Alfred Wallace, who explored and collected specimens throughout the Malay archipelago for eight years, from 1854 to 1862. Mr. Wallace's descriptions of his travels so inspired me that I sought out the occasion to introduce myself to him in London. I told him I was most determined to carry out a zoological and entomological study of the magnificent island of New Guinea, particularly a part of it he had not the opportunity to visit. The dear man immediately became interested and graciously agreed to provide any assistance he could. We met for dinner soon after that, and he provided valuable information beyond my expectations including the name of the man who owned the Hester Helena, as well as a list of supplies I would need. I believe, in fact, that this trip would likely end in disaster were it not for his guidance. My final destination, where I expect to arrive tomorrow, is Humboldt Bay. Mr. Wallace, during the eight years of his expedition, spent only a few months in New Guinea. He made residence at Dory on the Western Peninsula. 
Although he had greatly anticipated visiting New Guinea, he found Dory to be disagreeable. He described the natives there as inferior to others in the region, both morally and physically. There, were, there was continual rain there, and he became quite ill. There was also a preponderance of abominable biting ants and blowflies, which made his most trifling tasks wearisome. And all of this was in, uncompensated by any great success in collecting impressive specimens of birds or insects. But Mr. Wallace had the fortunate opportunity to visit with a ship captain who had stayed several days at Humboldt Bay, some 500 miles to the east of Dory, just at the border of the western portion of New Guinea administered by the Dutch government. The captain reported that Humboldt Bay was a much more agreeable place, more beautiful and with a better harbor. The natives there were shy and untrusting, and they were unsophisticated, having only been visited by occasional stray whalers and Bugis traders. Most intriguing was the observation that the natives wore as ornaments the most magnificent bird of paradise feathers. Only about 18 species of paradise birds are known to exist, but I suspect there are more to be found, as well as new species of mammals and insects by a naturalist willing to venture some distance inland, which is exactly what I intend to do. Hence, it is with great anticipation that I now approach my final destination. Yet I also must admit to some amount of trepidation. Tribes of New Guinea's northern coast are known to be murderous savages in the lowest stages of barbarism. And unlike my esteemed friend, Mr. Wallace, I have had few previous opportunities to dispose peaceful negotiations with such savages. It is quite possible that my expedition might end with a savage's arrow in my heart or his knife across my throat as I sleep. And there it is. That's the end of episode two. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Stan as much as I did. Don't forget to go over and check out his website, stancsmith.com. Sign up for his newsletter. Uh, check him out on Amazon. He's got all those books up there and more to come. Uh, make sure you come over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash samplechapterpodcast. We will uh, have more information there. If you have any questions, you can email us at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm going to go ahead and get out of here and let you get back to your week. So until next time, bye.